Let's open up to Titus chapter 2. Actually, we'll be in Titus chapter 1 if you want to go there first to verse 5. We're going to spend some time on discipline 2 this morning and, and talk about what you might not expect us to talk about, which is women. Uh, wives and moms. Uh, but I hope that um, you'll see why we need to do that as, as guys who are in build, uh, because we're the leadership of the home. Um, you can imagine if you owned a company or ran a business or managed people and you had no idea what their job descriptions were under you, what they were supposed to be or what they were supposed to do, if you didn't know that, it would be difficult to manage them. Um, and the same thing is true in, in your household. If you don't know what God wants your wife to be, um, or if you don't know what God wants um, your wife to do with her life, it's going to be difficult for you and me to lead them in that direction. So what I want to do first is we're going to primarily zero in on Titus 2, verses 3 to 5, but we need to make sure we understand uh, what's going on in the book of Titus. So I have some questions to clarify the context there, but as always, let's pray before we look at God's word. Let's, let's seek him together. Father, we do seek your face. We ask for your help. Lord, we do not want to approach these words like it's an instruction manual for some piece of equipment at home. Um, that we could just read it without praying and get it or not. But these are your words which reveal your heart, your will for your people and the church. And we pray, God, that you would align our thinking with yours, that you would... Uh, Lord, there's some difficult things in this passage that are not very um, culturally popular, even in the evangelical church. And I pray, God, that what we would do is we would humble ourselves under your word, that your word would speak clearly to us, that I would not cloud its meaning, but um, only help draw out its meaning that's there. And I pray, God, that we would um, just humbly um, rejoice and receive what you have for us in your word. So be with us, God. Draw near to us as we now draw near to you. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. How does the word of God and the gospel shape the believing woman in her household? That's, a, that's a, you need to know that. You need to know that as a man. Uh, even if you are a son who is living under your parents' leadership, your dad's leadership, you need to know what God expects your believing mom to be and what God expects your believing sisters to be. Um, and if you are living with some roommates and you're not married yet, you need to know what God wants your future wife to be. Uh, you need to know what kind of woman to look for. You need to look for a woman who's in tune with what God says she must be and do. Do you know God's plan through his word for your wife, for your daughter, for your sister, for your mom? Well, let's talk about Titus chapter 1 here at the beginning. I got some questions there for you. Why did Paul leave Titus in Crete? Well, he tells us in verses 5 to 9. For this reason I left you in Crete. This is the island of Crete in the Mediterranean. Paul is talking to Titus. 
I left you there that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. Namely, if any man is above reproach, the husband of one wife, having children who believe, not accused of dissipation or rebellion, for the overseer must be above reproach as God's steward, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not addicted to wine, not pugnacious, not fond of sordid gain, but hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, just, devout, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word which is in accordance with the teaching so that he will be able both to exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. Why did Paul leave Titus uh, in Crete? Uh, What is it that remains uh, uh, as a need to be filled? It's primarily to appoint elders in the churches that are there. And the way that he ends, verse 9, tells us where he's going next in verse 10. The elder needs to be able to both exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. That's the positive and the negative use of, of God's word from an elder in a church, from a shepherd in a church. I need to exhort you with sound doctrine and I need to be able to refute those who contradict the sound doctrine. That's what an elder must do. Why do elders need to be able to do both of those things? Well, verses 10 to 16 tell us why in Crete. Because, for, there are many rebellious men, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision from the Jewish line, who must be silenced because they are upsetting whole families, teaching things they should not teach for the sake of sordid gain. One of themselves, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. I love this. This testimony is true. For this reason, reprove them severely so that they may be sound in the faith, not paying attention to Jewish myths and commandments of men who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their mind and their conscience are defiled. They profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny him, being detestable, disobedient, and worthless for any good deed. Why do elders need to be able to both exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict? Um, Because there are some men who are stepping into families and upsetting them with wrong doctrine. And it is the elder's job in a church to make sure that that doesn't happen. They must be silenced. They're not given a platform to speak their issue. They're silenced. Um, That is why there is something that yet remains that needs to be done in Crete. Elders need to be in the church. Um, Well, how should Titus be compared to those false teachers? Chapter 2, verse 1. But in contrast, as for you, Titus, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. Okay, so they're teaching. These guys are teaching, right? Look back at chapter 1, verse 11. They're teaching things they should not teach for the sake of sordid gain. So here's God's answer to these false teachers. It is the true teacher. It's the elder. It's the Titus leader of the church. Speak the things that are fitting for sound doctrine. Um. What is Paul's strategy? Uh, let, let's actually take a look here at Paul's strategy in verses 2 to 10. So that Titus can address the change that's caused by the false teachers at the household level. 
They're teaching at a household level, right? The false teachers are. They're going into families and upsetting him. So what's going to be Paul's correction for Titus for that situation? Older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, in love and in perseverance. Verse 3. Older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, so that they may encourage, here's the third group, the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. Likewise, urge the young men to be sensible, the fourth category. And then he brackets it with himself again, in all things show yourself, Titus, to be an example of good deeds with purity and doctrine, dignified, sound in speech, which is beyond reproach, so that the, the opponent will be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. Here's another category. Urge bond slaves, verse 9, to be subject to their own masters in everything, to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that they will adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in every respect. You know what Paul just did? He just ran through the household in Crete. Older men, older women, younger women, young men, and if there are any servants in the household. So the false teachers are going into the house and what are they doing? Into families. They're teaching with wrong doctrine and they're upsetting the entire family. What is God's correction to that? Step into the household and here's the right instruction. Here's the right doctrine. And I have something for everybody in that household. Okay? That's Paul's strategy. What is ultimately at stake in and outside of the church through the behavior of old Older women and men and younger women and men and Titus and slaves. What's at stake? Look at verse 1 again. Teach the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. There is a fitting way to live that comes from doctrine. Right? Look at verse 5 at the end. So that the word of God will not be dishonored. What's at stake? When a family is upset by wrong teaching and they're not living the way that they should be, here's what's at stake. The word of God is being dishonored. It's not just about your life. It's not just about my life. It's not just about my family or or your family. What's at stake is the word of God and its perception in the community. That's more important than me. And that's more important than you. And it's more important than our families. Our families are humble pieces underneath that that point up to that which must not be dishonored in the community, which is the word of God. That's why I need to live the way that I live and the way that you live. What else is at stake? Look at verse 8 for, for Titus himself. So that, they would have, uh, so that the opponent will be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. Look, anybody who would look in on our lives as critics... And let's face it, in our day where we live, we got a growing number of critics looking at the way that we live as Christians. What needs to be the goal? What needs to be the outcome? What's at stake? Let them be put to shame because they have nothing bad to say about the way we live. That's what's at stake. How about verse 10? For slaves even, so that they will adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in every respect. It, by the way that the slave lives in Rome, or in the Roman Empire, think about this. The way the slave lived in the Roman Empire, in a Christian home, a Christian slave in a Christian home, it would make the teaching of God, the doctrine of God, appear to be beautiful. That's what's at stake. 
That's why these guys who are stepping into families and are upsetting the whole families through their wrong doctrine, that's why they must be silenced. And there need to be elders in the church who can help make sure that happens. And you correct it with right teaching. How is it possible for these believers to adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in every respect through their behavior? How is this even possible? Look at verse 11. Here's why. Because the grace of God has appeared. Here's why you can live the right way, guys. Here's why you can be what God calls you to be. Here's how you can do what God calls you to do. Here's how your wife can be what she must be and do what she must do. This is where your believing children can be and do what they're supposed to do. This is where we have our foundation. Look at this. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. We're saved because of God's grace. Watch what God's grace does. Verse 12, instructing us to what? Deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. You know the grace of God saves you. You know that. Um, But the grace of God sanctifies you. The grace of God converts you and makes you into a child of God. The grace of God provides ongoing instruction in your life to change you. The grace of God has appeared for salvation, instructing you to live differently, to deny the ungodly way that you used to live. Who is this one who achieved that for us? It's our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. He's the one, verse 14, watch this. He gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. Why did he die for you? To give you fire insurance so you don't go to hell? Yeah. But why else? To purify you so that right now you would be a people for his own possession, that you would be zealous for good deeds. That's why Jesus died for you, so that you and I would live different. We would not be what we once were. Our lives must change. And why in a, in a Christian household must our lives be different? What's at stake? The doctrine of our God and Savior must be adorned. It must be seen to be the beautiful thing that it is. The word of God should not be dishonored. Our critics need to be silenced. Let's not give them any ammunition by living ungodly. Why is it important for men in the church to understand God's gospel and its effect on women? Uh, Its effect on you. But why must you need to know this? about the women in a household. I have four points for you. I don't know if it's on your second page or at the bottom of the first where you're at. But number one, why, why do you need to know this? Number one, I must, I got a blank for you to fill in. I must align my leadership, align. I must align my leadership with God's scriptural expectations for the women in my home. As the heads of households, either right now or someday in the future, if you're not currently the head of a household, your loving leadership, it has to be aligned with God's gospel expectations for your wife or for your daughters. You need to be in alignment. If this is what God says the women in a household need to be, do you want to be going this way? No, you need to what? Align yourself under what God says so that you're working in the same pattern that he's working in the women in the home. 
Number two, my leadership must help the women or the woman in my home embrace God's scriptural implications for the living. The second blank to fill out there is embrace. My leadership must help the women in my home embrace God's scriptural implications for the living. Is that on the back side of the page, I'm guessing? This is number two, little Roman numeral two, I-I. It's on the front page, okay. So embrace. Your job now, you see, you get yourself aligned under what God's thinking. And once you're aligned with what God's thinking for women in your household, now what's your job? Honey, embrace this. Don't just tolerate it, embrace it. Embrace it. As the loving leader of your wife or of your daughter, you must expose your, the women in your, heart, uh, in your household, you must expose their heart to God's design for them in the gospel so that they might actually embrace that design for them by his grace. Listen, how will the ladies in your home know the gospel and its implications if you don't teach them? How will they know? Don't let them find out from somebody else besides you. Look, the church is here. We all rely on the church Hopefully they'll hear that from elders and from elders' wives and things like that. That's great. But they need to hear it from you. They need to hear it from you. Number three, my leadership. Why do I need to know this? My leadership of the women in my home must contribute to two things. Positively, this first blank, it must contribute to the adorning of God's word and the silencing of critics. Why do you need to know this? You want the... the doctrine of our God and Savior to appear to be the beautiful thing that it is. And that will only happen if you are aligned with God's word and you're helping the women in your house embrace it. But then you also need to help silence the critics, right? There's a direct link. The the first question that should come to your mind when you read back in Titus chapter 1, verse 11, that there are these rebellious men who have gone into households and upset whole families. The first question you should ask yourself is what? Where are the men? How did this happen? Who was guarding the gate? How did this get in? You need to be the one guarding the gate in your household. See, guys, you can't leave theology for the theologians. And you can't leave an understanding of God's word in the Old Testament to somebody else. You've got to know it. Who's going to guard your family? But you're just going to let, that's the elder's job? Yeah, it is our job. It's your job. You're the one who has to give an account to that. I have to give an account that I told you it's your job and that I'm helping you do your job. But it's your job. You got to do it. You got to know it. Fourth, why do you need to know this? My leadership of the women in my home can protect my household from being upset. Remember Titus 111, they're upsetting whole families. Guys, it's subtle. Back in their day, uh, it was actually a physical person that either came to the house or befriended the family and stepped into the house, and you would know that there was another person in your home who was not your family. And he started teaching things that were not in line with God's word. You would say, I can spot that when that happens, but do you know what's on the laptop? Do you know what they're watching? Do you know what they're doing with social media? Do you know? I mean, my goodness, now you have no idea what's coming in your house. You need to know what's coming in your house. What books they're reading. You need to know. The game has been stepped up and you need to meet the challenge and step up. You need to know this. 
So, question for you. By the way, I have a whole series of questions throughout this whole lesson. Here's part of your assignment for next time. I want you to pick five of these sets of questions, just five. There's like 20 of them. Pick five and ask your wife, if you have a wife. Okay? Ask your wife these questions. If you don't have a wife, pray for a wife who would love to answer these five questions that you would come up with. How aware have you been of what Titus 2, 3 to 5 says and what it means for the women? How aware are you? If you don't know it, it's difficult to help your wife or your daughter embrace it, correct? If you don't know what their expectation is. If you're single but hope to be married someday, how aware have you been of Titus 2, 3 to 5 as you prayerfully consider marriage? What's your current awareness? Why is your current awareness been where it is? I, that may seem like a weird question, but let's say you answer the question, I'm not very aware. Here's my question. Why are you not very aware? How, how did you get to where you are? I'll be honest with you. I just, I just haven't really paid attention to what the Bible says in this area. I, I don't read this. I, don't, I haven't been exposed to it very often, just to be honest. That's why. Um, or whatever reason. Why are you where you are? Where you are is where you are. You can only be where you are today, guys. You can only be where you are today. Now, why are you where you are is a very important question to answer so that you understand how you got there and how you can leave and get to where you need to go, right? If you need to move at all. Um, if you're married and have daughters, how aware do you think the women in your home are? Okay, so let's say, oh, I know what God's expectations are for women. But what if we went to your wife or to your daughters, your believing daughters, old enough to understand? Um, how clear would they be able to articulate what it is? Just because you know it doesn't mean what? They know it. Okay? So how aware are they and why are they um, at the level of awareness they currently are? Uh, the, the whole point here is the women are going to be as aware of it as, as, as you are. Um, don't let them go around you or over you or to, under you to get to what God's expectations are. Lead them to what God's expectations are, okay? And here we are. What are God's expectations for the women? Let's get to Titus 2, 3 to 5. That was just to understand the context, okay? The gospel is honored through transformed older women training transformed younger women. We want to honor the word of God. We want to honor the gospel. And the way that that's done is taking transformed older women and having them encourage transformed younger women. I've got three points for you under this. Let's talk first about what older women transformed by the gospel must be. That's where Titus begins. Um, older women, verse three. Um, let's just stop for a moment and think about that. The text doesn't tell us any specific age. Uh, some men I really respect believe that um, because child rearing ends at about 60 to 65, uh, it's reasonable to take older women as referring to women who are at least that age. I, that just seems arbitrary to me. I don't know how you put an age on this. Um, I think the thing not to miss, though, is that the older women in a church are a spiritual resource, a rich, rich spiritual resource in the church. In a church like ours, 10 years ago, uh, the average age of probably anybody in the church was under 30. And now it's much different. Praise God. There's, look at all the gray hair in this room. <laughs> look at all the gray hair in this room. <laughs> um, that's, a, that's a huge blessing. Um, the older women in this church that would have fell into this category 10 years ago are not the same older women that would fall into the category now. There's much older women, and it's, it's a huge blessing. 
Um, and by the way, just you know this, that just being older as, for, for the women and for the men doesn't mean that it automatically equals wisdom and, and purity and godliness. Growing old doesn't mean that you necessarily are godly, right? Just want to make sure we know that. Okay, so what sh- there's four descriptions for the older women in verse 3 and 4. Uh, let's talk about them. Number one, reverent in behavior. Reverent. This is the only use of this word in the New Testament here in verse 3. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior. Uh, it has its roots and its meaning into the priesthood. So it was a, a, a priest or a person who was set apart for priestly duties. That person was seen to be sacred or set apart for something special. That's the idea that is to be carried over here to the older women, not that she's a priestess or anything like that, but that she lives a sacred life to God. She is set apart for God in the church. Even though she appears to be a very common older woman, maybe one that you would quickly just look past, she wouldn't catch your eye for any possible reason, but, but she has the demeanor, she has the behavior of one who understands that she's set apart for God to minister in the body of Christ. Um, what she is about in this ministry, what Paul is saying, it, it's sacred. This is important. She needs to be set apart for this. She needs to be a set-apart woman. Uh, maybe it could be said that she practices the presence of God in her daily living. That's one way to think of being priestly, that you're constantly in the presence of God. Uh, we, we talk about the priesthood of believers. Uh, Peter talks about that in, in First Peter. Um, we all need to be practicing the presence of God as if we are priests living in his presence, going about to and fro in our ministry. That's what she's supposed to be like. Um, most likely, I think this is the overarching quality for the older women in verse uh, three here that all of the other ones kind of help flesh out, kind of like elders are to be above reproach. And then all of the rest of the categories for them in Titus one and in first Timothy three help us understand what it means to be above reproach. I think this reverent in behavior is kind of a, an umbrella qualifications and the other ones underneath it help us understand what it means to be reverent in all their behavior. Um, this is what the power of God intends to produce through the word of God in an older woman in the church. She needs to be reverent in her behavior. Do you long for your wife to be such a, a woman, guys? A reverent woman, a set-apart woman? Are you, guys who are not yet married, this is the kind of woman you look for. This is the kind of woman that you need to have. One who wants to be and is striving to be set apart by God for his use. Um, Guys, are you concerned to direct your wife in this direction? Ask your wife if she thinks you're concerned for her holiness of life. Honey, can you imagine this? Okay, having a conversation. Sweetheart, do you think I'm concerned for your holiness of life? I mean, as you just watch the way that I am married to you and that I do this relationship, do you conclude that I'm concerned for your holiness of life? You need to ask her. Um, what you think and what she might think might surprise might not be the same. Um, at least that's what I found in my life, uh, my marriage. Um, what kinds of things might you need to do to help your wife grow more intentionally into an older woman who's reverent in behavior? If you have a daughter, is she on the right trajectory to become set apart for God? Second description, they are to not be malicious gossips. That's one word in the Greek. I love it. Here's the word in the Greece, in the Greek. 
you know any Spanish, you, you'll, you'll know it. It's a dia, diabolus. Diablo. Diabolical. It means, um, it, it means to not be a malicious gossip, to not be a slanderer, to not be the accuser. She must not engage in slander. An older woman is not to repeat vicious gossip that she's heard. She's not to create any gossip in her own mind. Um, these women are not to be backbiting or to advance scandalous charges against others. She is to be a woman who can control her tongue from participating in that which pushes others down in the eyes of others. Because this quality is negated, it's negative, not malicious gossips, and because the next one is also negated, nor enslaved to much wine, many think that these two go together, so I'm going to go to the next one right with it. Here, number three, she is to be not enslaved to much wine. It's possible that in Crete, uh, the men and, the, and even the women were known for heavy drinking. It's possible. In fact, the problem appears to have been more acute among the women of Crete than in Ephesus. Um, Ephesus is a, you know, uh, you can, maybe you can see it on the map in your mind. If I had my laser pointer, I'd point somewhere. Um, Crete's an island in the Mediterranean. Ephesus is in, what is it, Turkey. Paul had to address alcohols, the use of alcohol in women in both, and men too, but in women in both. And it appears that what he said, when you compare what he says to the women in Ephesus, compared to what he says to the women in Crete, the way that he words it to the women in Crete is much stronger than the way that it is in Ephesus. So some think that perhaps the women on the island of Crete had much more temptation and succumbed to the temptation to drunkenness than um, they did in Ephesus. It may be that you live on a big island. Maybe there's not a whole lot to do. I don't know. Um, but uh, he, and, and for, for instance, in 1 Timothy 3.8, he uses the word, the, the wives must be temperate. This is in the, the qualifications for the wives of deacons. Um, she used to be temperate. And that word was used to sometimes talk about the use of, one's use of alcohol. That's a very mild way to put it. Look what he says here. Not enslaved to much wine. That's not a mild way to put it. You can't be a slave to wine, is what he's saying to the women of Crete. Um, so, it's a term of bondage. Now, what do we know about this? Paul nowhere totally forbids wine, right? Um, but Paul, in multiple places, strongly condemns drunkenness. And he exhorts believers to not be enslaved by much wine. Um, so Paul is not forbidding it here. But however, the, the one thing that you have to be careful of with any type of alcohol, any type of prescription, any type of thing, is that one thing must always rise above your use of any of those kinds of things. And that is self-control. The minute you compromise your self-control, you're flirting with disaster. And it doesn't take much, does it? You have to be very, very careful. And even above self-control is glorifying God. Um, what you do needs to bring glory to God. What your wife does with alcohol needs to bring glory to God. So the point here is self-control needs to stay in contact, intact and the glory of God is at stake. What's the connection then between not malicious gossips and not enslaved to much wine? Well, 
what, ha- what does a little bit of alcohol do to the tongue? Just flaps in the breeze freely, and boy, information just flows. Why? Because self-control is compromised. Right? I have a whole set of questions here for you. Are you the kind of man that yourself, are you concerned that slander or gossip not find a lodging place in the woman that you would date? Guys, if you're dating a, 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 a gal and, or interested in a gal and, and she's letting you know about everything she knows about everybody else, that's a red flag. That's something that needs to be addressed. Um, you can help shepherd her. Um, do you long for a wife to be in control of her words? Do you know? Here's, here's an important one. Not just the words that she says, but the words she types, the words she texts. Do you know what the effects of her emails are on others? Do you know the effects of her texts? Do you know the effects of her uh, Facebook postings on others when she posts? Is, is there any advancement of things that shouldn't be advanced? Are you looking for a woman who's far from the charge of being a malicious gossip? Are you concerned to direct your wife away from gossip? Um, what about alcohol? The last two sets of questions here. Are you a kind of man that's passionate to not lose your own self-control in the use of alcohol? You're setting the example in your home. Do you long for your wife to always have self-control, especially in her use of alcohol, if she does? By the way, this is not an exhortation to uh, use alcohol. Just not that clear? Um, right? That's between you and the Lord, but, but boy, be very careful. Um, remember there were people outside who um, were making accusations on the Christian family in Crete? We don't need the unbelieving world around us pointing in at the Christians because of their use of alcohol going, see, just like us, just like us. It's very sad. You need to be very careful. Um, As a single man, is this the kind of woman that you find attractive? One who even wants to stay away from alcohol? Has your oversight of the use of alcohol in your marriage and in your home, has it been helpful for your wife? Maybe you need to ask her, honey, has it been helpful? The way that I interact with alcohol, is that helpful for you? I, I grew up in a, in a home where um, both my parents, unbelieving home, both my parents um, drank a lot. Everything we did revolved around drinking as a family. Um, and both my mom and my dad. At one point, my mom got done with it. My mom just stopped drinking and my dad continued to go the direction he went. Um, and sometimes wives will just be like, because of what they see in the, in the man, they'll just stop. And it's just not helpful. She just wants out of the pattern that is going. Um, ask your wife about the pattern. Is, is the pattern of, if you do use alcohol in your home, is the pattern helpful for you? Um, be honest with each other. Okay. Number four, I'll let you read through the other questions there. Teaching what is good. The older women need to be able to teach what is good. That's one word in the Greek, that teaching what is good in a verse, uh, at the end of verse three, it's one word in the, in the Greek. It, it is um, the word good or beneficial on the front of teacher. So a good teacher. It actually describes the kind of person more than it does the task. Yes, of course, they're to be teaching, but... Uh, you know you can have a, a teacher, but they're not a good teacher. 
So there's teaching going on from the older woman, but she's a good teacher, okay? She's a beneficial teacher. Uh, That doesn't necessarily mean that the older women in the church are to be able to formally teach and study the Bible in a way that uh, uh, is kind of an official teaching position. Uh, It implies, at a minimum, though, the ability to informally teach by the Word, with the Word, right? And and set an example uh, from Scripture. So you're the kind of man that wants to live a life that brings good or benefit to others. Um, do you long for your wife to live the same kind of life so that as she grows older, younger women would find her words of experience and her um, understanding of the word to be a benefit? Do you want your wife to be a woman who's a good teacher someday? What are you doing now to help her go that direction? Are you concerned for your wife to be able to impart what is good to younger women? Um, Has your oversight of your wife's life and ministry positioned her to be able to have an avenue of input into other women? Um, Ask your wife what she thinks you are concerned for. Uh, Do you, you should want your wife to be able to be a blessing to younger women in the church. Um, Help your wife get on a trajectory so so that she can become that. Align yourself with what God's word says, help her to embrace it and help her take one step after another. Um, summary, if I could summarize these four about the older women, if the younger women of the church, which we're going to talk about next, if the younger women of the church are going to be the kind of women that God desires them to be, then it requires older women of the church to be of a certain character. The older women of the church have to be of a certain character because the younger women of the church, you're going to see here in a moment, are dependent upon the older women being what they're supposed to be. Do you see how God has connected the lives of women together in the church? Um, God has created, as you're going to see next here, um, a dependency that the younger women of the church have on the older women in the church. Now, can younger women in the church be godly if there are no older women? Yes, they can. But what is God's intent God has something much better than just young women becoming godly on their own. We must be the kinds of heads of our households who make the home fertile soil for a woman to grow up into an older woman who would really be able to be a blessing to younger women in the church because that's God's design. That's just God's design. When we're responsible for that, we set the pace for that. We set the soil condition for that in our homes. What is your wife growing up into in your home, guys? What is she becoming as she ages? Um, it's up to you. What will your wife grow? If you have a younger wife, what's she growing into? What will she grow into? You need to be concerned about that. So the primary point here is to, guys, listen. Do not, do, I say this every year at this lesson. Do not go home and sit your wife down and tell her everything she's doing wrong. That is not the point of this lesson. If you go home and say, Scott said, we're going to have a conversation. Uh, The primary point is for you guys to become the kind of man who's not just merely aware of what God says about women, but to become a man who loves what God wants your wife to be. That's the point. You must become the kind of man that loves what God wants your wife to be and do. You've got to become that by God's grace. Number two, what transformed older women 
must train the transformed younger women to be. That's a mouthful, but that's the idea. I want to keep transformed in there. Look, the only person who can do this is one who's been transformed by the gospel, right? Um, one who's been changed. Look at, look at verse 4. So that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands. So that they might encourage, so that they might train. At one time, um, this idea of training, it had the idea of, of bringing somebody to their senses. But probably the best way to just simply see it now is, is to advise. The older women are to advise. The older women are to urge. The older women are to wise up the younger women, to train them as to their character and their responsibilities in the home. Now, what's interesting here in this whole list, can you see something different about the younger women that is not true for the other groups? Older men, you got older men, older women, the younger women, and the younger men. What's different about the younger women compared to the other three groups? Can you see it? Don't look at me. I won't give you, I won't, I won't tell you. What does it say down in, do you see a difference? Older men are to be, older women likewise, so that they may encourage the younger women. Verse six, urge the young men, bond slaves, All right, I gave you enough time. Please, we'd love for you to embarrass yourself. Huh? Um, uh, that's not exactly what I was looking for, but there is a difference there in that. Yeah. Let, let me ask it this way. Uh, which groups get instructed by Titus? Directly. And the older women. Which group does not get instructed directly by Titus? The younger women. Now, we shouldn't make more out of that. That's not saying that an elder should never talk to younger women in church or anything like that. But it's interesting. What is, what is the point? What is Titus, what is Paul making? What point is he making? What's unique about this group it's this, that God has one of these groups more dependent on another group than the other ones. Um, the younger men are not instructed here by Paul to be taught by the older men. Now, should that happen in a church? Yes, we want that to happen in a church. Um, but that's not the point that's here. The point emphasized here is that older women have a very direct training role with younger women that goes even beyond what Titus would do as a pastor, as an elder in a church, or what the other elders would do. Now, can and should elders instruct younger women in the church? Yes, and we do. We're not afraid to do that, but what it's being, what's being emphasized here is that there's this unique relationship that exists between the women in the church that really is emphasized here uniquely in, in ways that it, there's no emphasis like that for the men. Okay? Um, the older women are to be to exhort the younger women in, towards what they must be in the Word of God and, so what they, and what they must do in the Word of God. Uh, and Titus and the elders of the church are to rely on the older women doing this with the younger women. This is why we have the ministry Wellspring, 
This is why we have a mentoring ministry that uh, uh, Chris Evans heads up and that I help her with. If there's any woman that wants to be mentored by another woman, uh, discipled by another woman, we try to match them up with somebody, a, a woman to do that, because there's, we're, we're depending on this relationship. This is why it's so important for the women of the church to be built up. Young women would just be uh, the earlier, the women who are in the earlier stages of life in contrast to the older women, probably women who are newer or fresher in marriage and in parenting. Um, let's talk about what they are to be and do. Number one, what transformed older women must train to transform younger to be younger women to be are husband lovers, verse four, so that they may train or advise the young women to love their husbands. Interesting word. It's one word. It's the word, um, it has the word love on the front of man, uh, a man lover. And it means her husband. It doesn't mean just any old man. It means her husband, right? Um, Having more than an emotional affection for her husband is is what's in view here. Uh, Whenever you see biblical love uh, brought up in scripture here, um, it is always the self-emptying out of a person for the good of another. Self-giving. You give yourself away for the good of others. Um, God so loved the world that he gave himself away in his son. You see, biblical love is where you would sacrifice yourself. You would empty yourself out for another. Uh, That's biblical love. It's not the emotional thing that we think of. Um, Husbands, love your wives as Christ Love the church and gave himself up for her. So you see, love is giving yourself up for the good of another. That's what is idea of here. A, a, a woman who is a giving herself away for a man, for her husband kind of woman. That's what she needs to be, if that makes sense. Okay, now let's think of something shocking for a moment here that's easy just to read over. <clears throat> Train or advise the younger women to love. Training to love. Um, We live in a day where we're supposed to fall in love. Right? It just happens to you. It's unavoidable. Nobody had to say, okay, here's the three steps in which you will fall in love. You do these, and it's, it's guaranteed. It's a little formula thing that works, and yet here we're told, train them to be this. Um, God does not expect this love that a young woman has for her husband, a young wife has for her husband, uh, to be something that's just uncontrollable that happens to her. He actually puts it on the older women in the church to train her to do it train her to give herself away to her husband in love, to empty herself out in love. Um, that is completely counterintuitive to our cultural mindset. A young woman is to be trained, advised to empty herself out in love. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that she didn't fall in love with her husband or she doesn't have emotional or a, a, a affection for her husband, but I hope she does. That would be very nice. But what if she didn't? What if she's an unbeliever, gets saved, and her husband doesn't know the Lord? 
what would you want the older women in the church to do? Train her, advise her to love her husband. So this exhortation would even work in a first century setting in which there would be mar- uh, arranged marriages. Where the first time you would meet your husband would be on the wedding day or that would be the most you'd see of each other. And what kind of what does that woman need? That's not unbiblical, by the way. It's all biblical. It's not in Scripture. There's a freedom. Cultures have practiced that and still do. What would you want the older women in that church to do? Teach her how to fall in love? Teach her how to have an emotional feeling for her husband? Or would you want the older women in the church to teach her how to be a self-emptying woman who loves her husband? You see, it's not about the emotional side of things. It's about that you empty yourself out in love for others. So the idea here is clearly that love for her husband can be taught. It can be taught. Um, Love is to be first and foremost in marriage in the young wife's mind in the church. The young believing wife, she is to be thinking, "I, I need to empty myself out in love. I need to be one who loves my husband. And that love is characterized by a training. I, need to, I can be taught, I can be advised how to be this, how to do that. Um, it's much more than an uncontrollable affection with just, that's just overtaken the woman. So God's love that the gospel generates from a wife is one that can be shaped and guided and trained, okay? That's just completely counterintuitive to our day. The world's love just happens to a woman. And what happens in the world when that life's, that woman's love isn't there anymore? What do they do? Well, I just don't love you anymore. We're done. And that works for us, too, on the guy's side. Right? You have to be trained to give yourself away. Number two, the younger women are to be children lovers. Verse four, same thing here. One word with love on the front of the word, and this time children on the back of it. So children lovers. Um, All that was said that we made the point of in her self-giving love, her self-emptying love for her husband, could now be said here for the, the, the children. And the point here is she can be, and she must be trained to love her children. Meaning that her love can grow. It can be taught. It can be cultivated. It can be brought under her own will. She can control her love for another. She can direct herself to do it. Love is to be first and foremost on the young moms who are parenting in the church. Um, You can't play leapfrog over loving your husband. If you're a woman, you can't play leapfrog over loving your children. And you need to know that's what God wants for your wife. Now, that's very self-serving. Honey, I want you to be a husband lover. Because I benefit, because I'm the husband. So, um, but you still need to be in line with this. Has your wife ever, some questions for you. Has your wife ever heard from you an expression of gratefulness to God for her love? Have you ever said, honey, thank you for the way that you empty yourself out for me? And for the kids, if you have any. Have you identified the acts of love your wife demonstrates towards you? Not just how she feels for you but how she acts and empties herself out for you. Are you touched more by how God feels about you or what God did for you? Now, he has feelings for you. 
But he put his money where his mouth was. He put his money where his emotions were, didn't he? His son died. Watch your wife empty herself out and notice it and tell her about it, okay? Ask your wife if she feels like you expect her acts of love or if you appreciate her acts of love. One of the most discouraging things for anybody, for you, for anybody, but for your wife, is if she's emptying herself out repeatedly all the time for you, for the kids, for you, for the kids. She's just emptying herself out and she never hears from you any acknowledgement that you even notice it. Very discouraging. Don't discourage your wife. Encourage her. Go home and make a list. Watch now with new eyes, fresh set of eyes on how she is emptying herself out. Um, sit down with her and list out. If you, you want to you wanna see your wife pass out before your eyes, make a list of all of the ways that you know she empties herself out. Take her out on a date, sit her down, and while you're waiting for the food to come, say, I've made a list of all of the ways that you have emptied yourself out for me that I see. And I just wanted to tell you that I've seen them and that, that I'm grateful to God for you and I am blessed by them. Here we are. And then you pick her up off the floor and put her back in her chair and you continue. It'll be fun. Um, number three, the older women need to teach the younger women to be sensible. Verse five, to be sensible. Now, it means being in control of oneself, being prudent, being thoughtful. Uh, a thoughtful person who's controlling oneself, who's prudent. Young women need to be trained in using good judgment. They need to be sensible. Where do young women need to be sensible? Uh, in their use of time. Just like you and I need to be trained to be sensible in the use of time. But young women need to be trained in that. Um, how much time, they need to be trained in how much time to be outside of the home. And who better to help them figure that out than an older woman who's walked that path and figured that out? Younger women need to be sensible in their use of money. Younger, I'm just picking some areas that, some arenas of life. Younger women need to be sensible in their use of social media and entertainment, Right? How much to have the kids involved with activities? Some moms um, just, man, they, all, they're a machine of busyness. One thing after another for the kids to do. And at, at some point, there's, there's a law of diminishing returns on the kids, on the household. And an older woman can help a younger woman be sensible about how much activities to become involved in. Okay, You should have an opinion about that too. Uh, but take advantage of the older women's ministry in the church to, with the younger. Are you looking for a wife who has good judgment? Uh, do you long for your wife to be such a woman? In what ways have you seen your wife use good judgment? Make her pass out by giving her a list of that. Number four, she needs to be pure, verse five. That means holy. So, so get this. The word for the older women was reverent, a priest-like set-apartness for the older women. Younger women are to be holy, when is a woman, as she's growing up, when is the expectation ever that she not be holy? It's always that she's holy. Uh, guys who are not yet married, are you looking for a holy girl? A girl who wants to be pure? Who's striving for purity? Boy, that's the kind of woman that you want because that's the kind of woman God is looking for in a household someday. Um, are you looking for a wife who's pure in thought and deed? Um, 
Men, do you, do you know what impurities tempt your wife? There's some questions here for you to think through. Um, have you ever thought about whether or not your leadership in your entertainment that you lead your wife into, things you watch? Have you ever given the thought to whether or not what you're entertaining your wife with actually tempts her to impurity? Um, you can think through those questions there. Number five, workers at home. So the older women are to train and advise the younger women to be workers at home. Verse five, it's one word in the Greek again. It has the word house on the front and work on the back. A house worker, um, a, a worker in the house. Uh, it's the carrying out of all the household responsibilities. It is to be active with the work that a household of people requires. Um, the idea with this word is more of what the wife is to be than what she does. Yes, she works in the house, but she is to, again, you can have somebody uh, who's a, a house worker but doesn't do good work, but this is the one who is the kind of woman she, she loves to be known as working in the home. Um, it's not so much about specifically the list of tasks that she does in the home. Um, it's about the kind of woman that she is. And it's about the, the center of gravity for her is her work in the home. Now, why does her center of gravity need to be the work that's in the home? Well, if she's going to be a husband lover and a child lover, guess where they live? In the home. Um, the home is the center of gravity for the woman who is a believer. Um, so the loving wife and the loving mother finds herself absorbed in the countless responsibilities of the home. Now, here's my question. Why is she that way? Why is she to be this way? Why is she this way? Because the word of God shapes her to be this. Now, we can resist that, just like I can resist the shaping effect of the word of God in my life, and so can you. But, but if, if, if the word of God has its freedom to shape her, she will be this. Um, just like the gospel generates a sensible characteristic, right? How can she be sensible apart from the gospel? She can't be. Uh, what about the characteristic of being pure? How can she be pure apart from the gospel? What does the gospel shape a, a woman to become? Pure. Uh, if we look on in the list in verse 5, kind. How can you be kind without the shaping effect of the gospel on the life, right? So where do all of these qualities and characteristics come from? The word of God, the power of the word of God, and the power of the gospel in a life. And it's not any different for being a worker at home. Where does that come from? It's a gospel quality. It's a word of God quality in a woman. Um, this is probably the characteristic that gets the most attention and has the most controversy surrounding it, right? And it is probably in this list the quality that gets is most easily negotiated away by a Christian couple. Uh, I want to think about this a little bit and I want to look at the other characteristics. So let, we'll examine this characteristic, a worker at home, by thinking about the other ones for a moment, okay? You ready? Which ones in the list in the, in, surrounding this? So here we are in verse 4. Uh, encouraging the younger women to love their husbands, love their children, sensible, pure, skip workers at home for a moment, kind, and being subject to their own husbands. Okay, there's six other ones to take a look at besides this workers at home. Now here's the question. Which ones do you feel comfortable negotiating away in a woman's life? 
of those other six, which ones would you feel like is a eh, take it or leave it? Do you feel the arbitrariness all of a sudden of, of what's going on in, in that list, what we do with that list? Uh, is loving our husband or loving our children something that you can take or leave as a, as a husband? She can, can she do those halfway? What about being sensible, having good judgment? Can she do that on Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays? Can she negotiate that away? Um, purity, being kind. What about being submissive to you? Why does then the worker at home seem to be in a different, um, to be different in the minds of men and women? What, what has influenced us in our thinking about it? Did this influence us? Did we look at the list and say, oh, I see how that one stands out differently than the other ones? Yeah, that's clear. See how it's in red there and the rest of the words are black? No. What have we been influenced by? Let's face it. We're we're fish in a bowl and we're wet with the cultural influence that is on us. Now, don't flip out because you don't know what I'm... we, We haven't said everything yet that needs to be said on this. But I want you to feel the weight of how arbitrary it is for what Christians have done with in terms of thinking about what a wife and her relationship to the home is. It's arbitrary, guys. It just is. There's nothing in the list that makes that thing stand out as negotiable. Nothing. It's become negotiable. But there's nothing in the list that makes it negotiable. Okay? We'll say more here. Um, There shouldn't be a different standard for this. Now, that being said, this characteristic doesn't necessarily mean that a wife and a mother will never be involved in activities outside the home. Because... Maybe some of you are thinking in your mind, yeah, what about the Proverbs 31 woman, right? Well, let's do this. Let's turn to Proverbs 31. Take a look real quick. I want you to see this because we need to think rightly about Proverbs 31. Verse 10, an excellent wife, who can find? And her worth is far above jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. She loves her husband. Almost sounds like what Paul said. She looks for wool and flax and she works with her hands in delight. She is like merchant ships. She brings her food from afar. So she's outside the home to go get some food. She uh, brings her food from afar. She rises also while it is still night and gives food to her household and portions to her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. See, she's a businesswoman. She's a career woman. See, a believing Jew woman can be a career woman. See, Uh, she considers a field and buys it. And from her earnings, she plants a vineyard. Why did she plant the vineyard? She's feeding her family. So yeah, she went outside, but her family is the benefit of it. She girds herself with strength and she makes her arms strong. She senses that her gain is good. Her lamp does not go out at night. She's a hard worker. She stretches out her hands to the distaff and her hands grasp the spindle. She's making clothes for her family. She extends her hand to the poor. She stretches out her hands to the needy. She's not merely and only in her home. 
She's not afraid of the snow for her household, for all her household are clothed with scarlet. She makes coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and she sells them. See, she's, she's outside and she's taking care of things. She supplies belts to tradesmen. Strength and dignity are her clothing and she smiles at the future. She opens her mouth in wisdom and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and bless her, her husband also, and he praises her, saying, Many daughters have done nobly, and you excel them all. Charm is deceitful, beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord shall be praised. Give her the product of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. Look, it is possible for a believing woman to be outside the home and to be engaged in commerce and to be engaged in work. But this, let's not confuse that. Let's not say that that is American feminism. Feminism, right? It's not. That's a different thing. She is outside her home without neglecting her care of the home. In fact, oftentimes she's outside the home because her household needs to benefit from what she can go do. So even when she's taking steps outside the home, it's for what? The household to benefit, right? If something was tugging your wife away from her loving you, being a husband lover. If something was tugging your wife away from being a lover of your children, if something was tugging your wife away from being pure, from being kind, from being submissive to you, what would you do? Would you be concerned? Well, what if something is tugging away your wife from her work at home? Because I just want us to feel, look, between you and the Lord, you need to wrestle with where you guys are at and decisions you've made. Okay, I'm not here to tell you that, but I'm here to say that if there's been anything that's been influencing you to think that that one quality is uh, maybe in its own special category and you can kind of take it or leave it, I just want you to feel how arbitrary that is. And then you wrestle with God and let God wrestle with you through his word and get you someplace. If you want some help in thinking through it carefully and you want to back up to square one and and think through the decision-making process, let's do that together. Let's walk together and figure it out. But just beware of how easily American feminism has, has influenced even the church. And again, what, what, are, what are we after? People are on the outside, they're looking in, and what, what can they do? What, what don't you want them to say? Yep, just like us. Right? What this characteristic says is that positively she will simply be a worker at home. And listen, every woman is different. Some do not do well having very much, if any, work outside of the home, pulling them away. You need to know there's not a one-size-fits-all for every woman. Some women have a tolerance level that's very low, and if you get them distracted with things outside the home, everything crumbles in the home. Do you know what kind of wife you have? Some women have a high capacity for doing lots of things, and they can step outside the house more than other women can without the house suffering. Do you know what kind of wife you have? Do you recognize that your wife may go in and out of seasons? When you've got little ones, got to be careful how much your wife is out of the house. When they get older and they get into school and they're kind of gone and all of a sudden your wife goes, I don't have three little ones around my ankles anymore. What am I going to do for the next three hours? Um, she, 
that, that's a new opportunity to think, not a new opportunity towards American feminism. It's a new opportunity to think about how can my wife enhance her work in the home by maybe stepping outside the home and being at the kid's school uh, for going and doing this so that the house benefits. See, the bottom line is what she's going to be held accountable for is not how creative she was outside the house. What she's going to be held accountable for is what? Was she a worker in the home? Okay? So we got to think carefully about this together and make good decisions. And by the way, one last qualification on this. Just because a wife is home all the time does not mean that she is a worker at home. Okay? Um, the TV can be... I grew up in a home. I'm so glad my mom was home when I was little. Uh, but as soon as I went to kindergarten, um, she was outside. The, I'm so glad I grew up. But you know what? I grew up watching as the world turns. Um, a, a woman can be home and there's nothing going on. Okay, so the idea is not just to be home. The idea is to be a worker at home. And do you know what kind of wife you have? And see, again... If you go to your wife and say, "Honey, here I've, I've come up with a, uh, I've come up with a little schedule for you for the next ten hours. Um, here's what your here's your work. Uh, that's one thing. To sit with an older godly woman in the church who's been down there. Uh, it, trust me, what, the second one's going to go better then. Okay. Take advantage of the older women in the church, guys. There's some questions there for you. Number six, kind. Some think that Paul had workers at home and kind in mind at the same time. Yeah, we're back in Titus 2, verse 5, uh, being kind. Um, sometimes working in the home, uh, the overwhelming work that is there. I-, I watched my wife this last week miss two days of laundry. She does laundry all the time. I saw her miss two days. I could not believe the pile of clothes that five people, two of them place, three of them, work out, play sports, and have double clothes every day to, to clean. I could not believe. It took her a long time to get back up. And all it takes is one kid to walk into a room and say, I don't have, where's my special? I don't have this. I don't have that. And the next thing, I'm watching steam coming out of my wife's head. Um, it can be very difficult in a moment like that to be kind. And so the thought is perhaps with all of the duties that are going on, it, it may be difficult to be kind at times. You, you need to be tuned into your wife and help her with that, encourage her in that. Um, sometimes the very people that she's loving and caring for delay her tasks and even create more tasks for her. It would be hard to be kind in a moment like that. Um, number seven, subject to her own husband. Titus 2 verse 5. Uh, This is the same word for submit that is found in Ephesians 5. The idea that's built into this verb is that there is somebody who is in authority and there's another person who's not. And it's that simple. Somebody's in authority, somebody's the leader, and somebody is not. Somebody's the follower. Um, It's the idea of, of soldiers lining up in a line following the commander. Being in a line following the one who's in authority. Um, this is not uh, determined this way because of spiritual superiority in the men and spiritual inferiority in the women. Therefore, the men are the leaders and the women are not. It is not that at all. It has nothing to do with spiritual inequality. We before the Lord, men and women, are spiritually equal. Um, 
she's ever as much a sinner as you are. You need as much of the blood of Christ as she does to be right with God. You need as much of the indwelling spirit of God to, as she does to live a life of godliness every day. It has nothing to do with spiritual equality or inequality. It has everything to do with just role differentiation. Somebody's going to be the leader and somebody's going to be the father or the follower. My mind went to the Trinity. Um, the best way to explain, if you want people to understand, the best way to even shepherd your own heart is, um, did the father come and die on the cross? No, the son did. Who said, I came to do the will of the other one? The son. Now, it, the son came and put himself under the head of the father. Now, is that because he is less God than the father? Is it because the father proved himself to be wiser than the son? Why is it that way? It has nothing to do with spiritual inequality. It has everything to do with role differentiation. It just glorifies God that one of the members of the Godhead put himself under the other. It glorifies God without diminishing his spirituality. Why does God have a husband be here and a wife be here? It has nothing to do with your spirituality. Do you not know that by now? It has everything to do with it. It just glorifies God. Boy, that humbles the one who's leading and it's an encouragement to the one who follows. Okay? Older women can help teach that. Lastly, number three, we're running out of time. What happens when transformed women are all they should be? Verse five, you see that. This is so that the word of God will not be dishonored. We get to, think about this, you, the women in our church get to help prevent the word of God from being dishonored in the community. Your wife, your daughters, your sisters, your moms, they get to be a part of helping the word of God to be seen to be the beautiful thing that it is. Um, but it takes older women who are transformed by the gospel, training younger women who are transformed by the gospel to be everything that God calls them to be in their homes. What Paul is saying here is that Christianity on the island of Crete is going to be judged particularly by the impact that the gospel has made on the women. That's what he's saying in this passage. Isn't that amazing? It's the older women's job to be concerned about their own character so that they can, in turn, help train the younger women to be of a certain character. And the women are helping to protect God's word from being profaned by onlookers. I love what MacArthur says. I think I put it there for a quote at the, at the end. Is it there? The world judges the gospel, which is the heart of the word of God, by the character of the people who believe and claim to be transformed by it. Uh, if, if you guys are interested at all uh, in your wife having, an, if she doesn't have an older woman in small group that she can go to and, and be cared for by, uh, I would encourage the first place to look for your wife and for both of you together to pursue is in your small group because those are the people that you'll have the most consistent contact with. Uh, it's not the only place. If, if your wife could benefit from that um, and encourage her to pray about that and say, honey, is there anybody in the church that you would just like to meet with? And not because you want to, you think there's something that's got to be fixed in her, but just because she needs to benefit from the older women in the church. Um, or maybe some of you have an older wife here because you're an older man and you have a wife who needs to be a blessing to the younger women in the church. 
uh, would love to put that all together as well and help that happen, okay? All right. Guys, we have covered all we needed to cover. Let's pray, and uh, you guys can be on your way for the day. Heavenly Father, we um, thank you for this word. Lord, I pray for my friends here, and especially if there's any challenge in their thinking about um, women being submissive to men, that seeming like maybe something old-fashioned, out of date, or women being a worker at home feeling that way. Lord, I pray, God, that, that you would convince them and help them to see where your word is at um, and that, Lord, you would make the rest of us humble and patient with each other. Um, achieve your good purposes in our lives through your word, by your spirit, oh, how we need you. Lord, and we just we are influenced by so much around us, outside of us, tugging at us, tugging at our lives. Lord, may we be godly men, courageous men, ready to step up and guard the, the door and care well for the women who are in our homes. May we align ourselves with your word and then help the women in our households embrace your word. And may we help adorn the doctrine of our God and Savior um, through the way that we live. May we be pleasing to you. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.